Amen. Well, having been a church leader for many years, one of the most difficult things I think a church leader has is when do you fit the notices in on a Sunday morning? And so I want to invite you to just stand and, and somehow just to reconnect with the Spirit of God. And I know he was just doing that for us in prayer. But those moments of worship, this is our God servant and king. And I felt just, as we were singing that line, the Holy Spirit reminded me of a a beautiful phrase in the New Testament at the Passover meal where it said that Jesus now showed them the full extent of his love. And he girded himself with a towel and he went amongst them and he washed their feet. This is our God servant and king. And I believe this morning the Lord would just say to some people here, metaphorically speaking, he's here to wash your feet. Psalm 8 was read earlier in the service about how David was just overawed, not just by creation, but that God should care so much for us. One of the translations accurately says, care so much that he should actually visit us. Wow. He was seeing down through history when God in the person of Jesus Christ would visit us. But there's yet another dimension. For this morning, God has promised, and we experienced it in those moments together, that by his Spirit he comes and presents himself, not just in us, but amongst us. And just reconnect this morning. He's here. The Spirit of God is here. Just like you promised, you've come. Just like you told us, you're here. And our desire is that you know we love you we worship you we welcome you here we love you we worship you We welcome you here. Just sit in his presence. You see, it's more important he's here this morning than I'm here. Even though my frailty, hopefully he's going to use me as a channel. I wasn't able to be with you last week because I was positive. I get confused with this COVID thing because I like positive to be around positive people. I mean faith-filled people, you know what I mean? But I'm negative this morning, COVID-wise, but positive faith-wise, if you understand that. But I understand there was a prophetic word brought last Sunday based on Isaiah 43 that speaks of a new thing that God is doing in our midst. And I believe part of the new thing that God is doing in our midst, 
is what we've begun to experience in the last couple of months or so as we gather together on Sunday morning, we've become more and more aware of his manifest presence. That if I can put it this way, with the greatest respect to Almighty God, that we're aware that he shows up in our midst in different ways. And some of you will be more attuned to that than others. But he, he's here this morning by his Spirit. Just because the Holy Spirit's invisible doesn't make him any less real. And he's here. And I just felt the Lord was impressing on my heart that I was to bring a message this morning that hopefully will help us to know really, in many ways, how to respond to this experience that we're having of increasingly experiencing his presence in our midst. And Peter says in his first letter, to the church in 1 Peter chapter 2, and it will come up on the screen. I'm reading from the NIV version, maybe slightly different to what you've got. 1 Peter chapter 2 and uh, verse 4 says this. As you come to him, whenever we come to him, to Christ, the living stone, who was rejected by men, but chosen by God. Hey, you know the most important thing in your life is not whether you've been rejected by parents, by mother or anybody else, but it's that you've been chosen by God. Amen? Amen. That's a word for some here this morning, I honestly believe. But as we come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, we also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. When we come together, God is at work. Sunday by Sunday, whenever we come together, he's at work building us together into a spiritual house, into a dwelling place or a sanctuary for his presence. (coughs) The physical building in which we meet, I'm sure most of you will know this, this is not God's house. We together collectively are being built into a spiritual house. That's why it's not a problem if in a few weeks' time we move to another venue. I don't know what the latest is on that, but it's not a problem because this is not the church. We are the church, amen? Turn to someone next to you and say, you are the church, or you're part of the church. (coughs) And the church that Christ is building by his Holy Spirit is far more incredible than any man-made cathedral or, or temple. It's just, it's just magnificent in a totally different way. Notice from this scripture that God's house is built from living stones. People who were once dead in their sins, the scripture says, but hallelujah, we've now been made alive through faith in Christ Jesus. And if you are a visitor here today and you've not become alive through a personal faith in Christ Jesus, I want to say you are so, so welcome amongst us. But friends, you need to be born again to be made alive in Christ, to be fully part of what God is building amongst us. Secondly, from this scripture, I want you to notice we're not just the living stones from which the house is being built, but we're also the priests who serve in God's house. And from this verse, there are two primary matters that are referred to. Namely, our lives 
and our worship. And much could be said on each of these, but I felt today that I should concentrate on the matter or some aspects, at least, of sacrificial worship. And although our worship is primarily, of course, for him, we sang right at the beginning of our service this morning, we are here for you. And that is absolutely correct and right, and that is our motivation. But incredibly, we actually receive blessing in return. What a wonderful God we have, don't we? We welcome him with praise, and in so doing, we receive back. And I want to just be very clear before we get into the scriptures this morning, that this message is not contradicting in any way the message that was brought to the church last Sunday. Because as Christ's ambassadors, we are to be his witnesses who are going people, but we're also to be his worshippers as his royal priesthood. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, Paul speaks there of how all of the scriptures, all of the Bible is God-breathed. In that regard, the Bible is a completely different book to any other book. It's God-breathed. And because it's God-breathed, the scripture tells us it's useful for teaching so that God's people can be fully equipped to serve the Lord, including as his royal priesthood. And so with that understanding, I want us to read from uh, a narrative account of John of an occasion which occurred in the lead-up to Easter, which, as Hughes just reminded us, is only a matter of weeks away now. So if you want to, turn with me or look up on your device or on the screen to John chapter 12. <coughs> John chapter 12. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner party was given in Jesus' honour. Martha served whilst Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, however, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. Here we have an account of a dinner party at which Jesus was the most honoured guest. And from Matthew and Mark's account, which is generally believed to be the same occasion, we learn 
that this occasion was at Simon the leper's house. And as we've just read from John's account, Lazarus, having been raised back to life, was there along with his sisters Martha and Mary. We sang a line this morning in one of the songs about the fact that God brings life into things which are dead. And that, that picture of Lazarus, without taking anything away from the literal, what literally happened for Lazarus, I believe God wants to speak into some situations this morning. Marriages, relationships might appear to be going dead on you, but God can bring new life back into situations. Your business, God can bring new life back into the situation. Because he's a God who calls things which are not yet as though they are. <coughs> now it seems most likely to me, and other commentators, that Simon had been healed of his le- leprosy by Jesus. For he had, if he'd still been infectious, think about it for a minute, with that horrible disease, then he would not have been in contact with others. Leprosy, which still exists in parts of the world today, is a terrible disease. It attacks the physical body, causing ulcers, deformities, and the wasting away of body parts. I'll never forget one occasion when I was in Africa, in the marketplace, and the beggar put his hand out, and he'd lost most of his his fingers from, from leprosy. It's a terrible disease. And the scripture uses the picture of leprosy, of what human sin is like. That is also something to avoid. For once it gets into your life, it will have a wasting effect which can spread and take over your life. And like leprosy, your sin can affect others. For as the Bible says, bad company corrupts others. Now, some sanctified imagination now for you. I believe this occasion provides us with a wonderful analogy, like a prophetic picture, if you will, of a church gathering. Now, now bear with me for a moment or two, and I want you to think of some of the similarities and comparisons. This was a gathering of people in a house, we're told. Whereas when we come together as church, we're being built into a house. Jesus was the most honoured guest And through the presence of his Holy Spirit, Jesus is the most honoured person here today and should be in any and every church service. And I suspect that Simon had probably invited friends to meet with Jesus. And so it could well have been that other former lepers were at the dinner party. And today, here There are those of us who have been, we're like former lepers, we were sinners, but now we've been cleansed by Jesus. Do you get the picture? The lepers whose lives were wasting away, in a similar way, we were spiritually dead, the scripture says, but we've received a new life through faith in Christ in a kind of a similar way to how Lazarus had received new life by being raised literally from the dead by Jesus. This is like a cameo, I would suggest to you, of, of a healthy church sort of service. I hope you can see some of the parallels. Well, let's continue and observe together over this, this, this meeting that was over a meal where Jesus was the most honoured guest. 
And, and things were proceeding in the usual kind of way. Everyone was seated. Well, actually, they wouldn't have been. They would have been, they would have been reclining. More, more like this. Around the table. I won't get you all to do it, but this would have been it. You wouldn't, they wouldn't have had shoes and socks on, of course. That, that was the, the posture around, around the table of, of that culture. And I, wouldn't, I, I can imagine without too much imagination, there would have been a welcome by the host and then the starter. Uh, drawing the parallel with church, then for us the starter was, well, Mika's exhortation this morning to get us ready for the main course. The service was proceeding smoothly. When suddenly the usual order of things is disrupted by Lazarus' sister Mary. Significantly to my way of thinking, she's the sister who had previously spent time sitting in the presence of Jesus listening to him. And maybe, just maybe, because she'd got to know him, this gave her confidence to approach him on this occasion, knowing that she would be accepted and not rejected. And I want to say to any this morning, if you're hesitant about approaching God, the scripture is very clear that you can approach him with confidence, knowing you'll receive grace and mercy every time in your time of need. And John has recorded how Mary approached Jesus. And because he was reclining in the kind of way I've just tried to demonstrate, she would almost certainly have had to kneel down to do what she next did. For she proceeded to pour a very expensive perfume worth a year's wages onto the feet of Jesus. And next, Mary let down her hair, which in that culture, women always wore their hair up. And so, in doing, letting down her hair, she broke the cultural norm and she let her hair down. When did you last break the cultural norm of this church service? Hmm? In a good way. She broke the cultural norm of that day, let her hair down. This was an absolute shocking thing for any woman to do, for no respectable woman would let her hair down in the presence of others except her husband, or maybe the one that she was betrothed to. And then, in the most intimate and affectionate way, Mary proceeded to wipe the feet of Jesus with her long hair. And John records significantly that the house was filled with the fragrance of what was on Jesus. Everyone became even more aware of his presence. They could smell, as it were, his presence. It impacted the whole house and all who were present. Now, I believe that the actions of Mary provide us with a beautiful picture of true sacrificial worship. But to gain the fullness of understanding of that revelation, you need to understand some things about true worship. For it's a word that's used in Christian circles to mean different things amongst Christians. Some believers, for example, will cite Romans 12.1, not wrongly, that worship 
is the offering of our whole life to God as sacrificial worship. Some churches would use the term worship to refer to their Sunday services. If you go around Colchester, you can still find some notice boards outside some of the traditional church buildings, which, for example, say Sunday worship at 11 a.m. They're referring to the entire service. In our kind of newer churches, people commonly speak of the praise and worship to refer to the sung part of the church service. Scripture, however, makes a distinction between thanksgiving, praise, and worship. And the Psalms give us a a kind of a pictorial pattern of how we're to approach God. We're to enter the gates, as it were, of his royal palace with thanksgiving, and then we're to move into his courts with praise before coming right into his presence with worship at his footstool. Sadly, I've been in some church services when we never leave the outer courts of praise to draw near to truly worship him. What is often referred to by churches as worship, as a worship time is meant to progress. If you look in, for example, Psalm 95, it progresses from exuberant thanksgiving and praise to more intimate worship as we draw nearer to him. The commands of scripture in relation to praise are boisterous. Clap your hands, all you people. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Whilst the actions and postures of worship are no less demonstrative, but they're more intimate and sensitive, such as bowing down and kneeling before him. There are two main words translated in the scriptures into the word worship. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word, and my pronunciation is not great, I'm not a linguist, but it's shakar, which literally means to bow down or to stoop down before someone as an act of submission or reverence. It's about falling down or bowing down to pay homage to God. The primary meaning is all about making yourself lower than him. In the New Testament, the Greek word, which is translated worship, is proskuneo. And it contains all the same meaning as the Hebrew word, but with the added dimension of intimacy. The Old Testament Hebrew word carries strong images of a citizen bowing down and paying homage to a king, whilst the New Testament Greek word also contains the idea of a lover kissing the king as an expression of her love and adoration. And so, from the meaning of these two words in the scripture, it's entirely right that we should worship King Jesus with majestic songs and ran this morning and shout his name, Jehovah. It's entirely appropriate with physical postures which are befitting of us as citizens of God's heavenly kingdom. However, incredibly, we can also worship him intimately and affectionately as would be expressed by a bride to her bridegroom. Bridegroom. This is our privilege as being part of the bride of Christ. 
I wonder, have any of you ever been to Buckingham Palace? I have, but not for any special occasion. I paid the fees to do the tour. And I got a completely unexpected revelation some years ago. It was a treat for Dorothy. <laughs> I'm not saying the revelation was. I took her to Buckingham Palace as a treat. You know, and we watched the change of the guard to start with and they entered the courts with praise. It was boisterous, it was loud, etc. But then we went round to the side door and we were shown in. And as part of the tour, you're shown into the throne room. The, the, flag, the flag wasn't flying, so she wasn't in occupancy. By the way, there should be some signs of the presence of God in that house when people come, getting this, Alice, <laughs> we went into the throne room, and we could only imagine, but you could sense something of the grandeur and the majesty, and picture there, and you think, wow, the state trumpeters, etc., and the special occasion, but just adjacent to the throne room, we were let into a secret, because there's a hidden door in the decor, you wouldn't even notice it. And the only people that have access to the private quarters of the monarch are the privileged and family. You've got it. You've got it, haven't you? You see, you might be a visitor here this morning. You might have got caught up in the praise in the throne room. But I tell you, you've got to be one of the privileged and one of the family of God as it were to go beyond the throne room and to go into the private chambers as it were, to go into the bed chamber and to come towards to kiss our king and our lover who gave his all for us. Well, let's return to John's narrative before I get completely off. It's evident from the scriptures that whilst in the days leading up to Jesus' sacrificial death to atone for our sins, the religious guys, the chief priests and the Pharisees, they were looking for an opportunity to arrest Jesus whilst at the same time he was being honoured by one who'd been an unclean leper and worshipped by a woman who put her love on display in front of others in a way which broke the cultural norm of that day. Just reflect with me a little more on this. Picture this. Mary approaches Jesus with thanksgiving in her heart and a costly thank offering in her hands. She draws near to Jesus as you would to someone to kiss them. For the Greek word literally for worship is to come towards to kiss she makes herself lower and bows down at Jesus' feet in a way that one would pay homage to a king. And from Mark's account, we learn that she literally broke open the alabaster jar. The alabaster jar was a bit like a flask-like container with a long neck. And it had to be broken open to be able to pour the contents out. And she poured out the perfume, the expression of her love on Jesus. You see, true worship is the pouring out of love from a broken and contrite heart. It's more than singing songs. The songs are just to help 
us express our love and adoration. And true worship is always costly. It's sacrificial. Any of you that are good Bible students will know when you're studying the Scriptures, there's the law of first mention. Whenever a subject is first mentioned, first introduced in the Scriptures, in seed form, you will find what is then going to be unpacked through the Scriptures. And the first time that the word worship is mentioned in the Scripture is where? Genesis chapter 22. When Abraham said to his servants at Mount Moriah, you stay here with the donkey whilst I and the lad, referring to Isaac, go over there to worship. Abraham was about to sacrifice to God the life of his son. Can you comprehend it? It would be like our worship leader this morning saying to to Amy, you stay here, Amy, I'm going to take over. We're going to worship God over there. It's incomprehensible to us. It was the dearest and best that he was going to offer up to worship. True worship is always costly. Mary's act of adoration, friends, cost her greatly. It was sacrificial. I'm not just talking about financially, although that was great, a year's wages. It also cost her the loss of dignity and reputation. She let her hair down and she tenderly touched the feet of a man in public. An absolute no-no. In her actions, she most probably surrendered her future hopes. For when breaking open the neck of an alabaster jar, there was only one application. You couldn't put the lid back on. There was no lid. You could only use it on one occasion. And commentators say that the perfume was almost certainly in readiness for a future hoped-for wedding night. Wow. In this act... I would suggest to you, it's like Mary was singing from her heart Robin Mark's song, Jesus, oh for Jesus, all I am and have and ever hope to be, all of my ambitions, hopes and plans, I surrender these into your hands, for it's only in your will that I am free. For it's only your will that I am free, Jesus, oh for Jesus, oh I am. And ever hope to be in pouring out the perfume on Jesus. Mary was pouring out her love for him. And I suspect her emotions would have been touched. 
She probably shed some tears, which the Bible tells us are precious to the Lord. And she wiped Jesus' feet, wait for it, with her hair. And in so doing so, she sacrificed her glory, her hair, for his glory. And the result of Mary's sacrificial worship, for that's truly what her actions were, was the house. The place of this meeting with Jesus was filled with the fragrance of Jesus. Because of the unashamed sacrificial worship of just one person, everyone present became more of aware of the presence of Jesus in the house. And friends, it can be just the same today. When people pour out their love In heartfelt worship, everyone comes more aware of the Lord's presence. I remember years ago, one Sunday morning in our church, when there was that momentary pause between songs, a young man, and he wasn't given to emotion. It wasn't a lady, friends. This was a guy. And he started to pour out, Jesus Everyone could hear him. He laid aside his embarrassment. He said, Jesus, Jesus, I love you, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, you are so lovely. I love you, Jesus. Fortunately, we had a worship leader who knew what to do. The song list was thrown away that morning. And sensitively, before we knew it, the whole congregation were worshipping at the feet of Jesus because we became more aware of his presence, because someone had dared not to break open an alabaster jar, but to break open their heart before the Lord. In Song of Songs, chapter 1 and verse 3, there's an interesting verse there in the context of what we're looking at this morning. The female says of her lover, Your name is like perfume poured out. And I've witnessed the impact in a meeting when the congregation, the bride of Christ, just softly and affectionately begin to speak out the name of their bridegroom. Jesus. 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 The whole atmosphere can change there can become a great awareness of the presence of the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, in the house. The house that he's building of living stones. And so today, I simply want to encourage you that when we come together, let's be people who unashamedly pour out our love and adoration in our worship times. And if you are like I used to be, and your emotions are pretty locked up and you'd feel far too embarrassed to put them on display. I want to encourage ask the Lord to baptise you in his spirit, to make you completely free to express yourself as you'd love to in worship. However, there's a warning on this. You need to be aware, from this occasion, at Simon the leper's house and from experience, Whilst the impact of heartfelt, extravagant worship can possibly uh, positively affect the far vast majority of people there, it can also evoke criticism. Even from some unexpected people. As we read, John says how Judas objected to such 
wasteful worship and protested the perfume could have been sold and the money obtained used for the poor. Although, of course, that wasn't what he had in mind. He was thinking of his own pocket. Matthew and Mark's accounts seem to suggest, actually, Judas was offended by Mary's worshipful actions. It was, we might say, the last straw for Judas And we're told he went to the religious authorities and did a deal with them to betray Jesus. From Mark's account, we learn, however, it wasn't just Judas who was critical, for Mark says that some of them who were there were indignant at such extravagance and they actually began to rebuke Mary harshly. Just think about it. She was being rebuked for her unashamed worship. Worse still, Matthew records that some of the disciples of Jesus were indignant. And sometimes unjustified criticism can come from unexpected people, even from sincere followers of Jesus. Think of King David. Criticism for him of his extravagant worship came from his wife. And as a result, she became barren and unfruitful from that time on. That's quite a warning, I guess, not to judge another person's worship. We don't worship extravagantly as a show to others, but to show Jesus how much we love him. And Matthew and Mark tell us how Jesus corrected Mary's critics, telling them to leave her alone for what she had done as an act of her love and worship was a beautiful thing. And furthermore, she would be remembered for what she'd done. What do you want to be remembered for? as someone who unashamedly pours out your heart in worship, or merely as a church passive attender. But importantly, I want you to notice, there was more positive impact than negative criticism. For John tells us in verses 9 to 11 that we read, that when the people in the community found out Jesus was in the house, and also there was someone there with a powerful testimony of a new life they received from Jesus, then a large crowd came to the house. And John says, many were putting their faith in Jesus on account of the testimony of Lazarus. Can you see, friends, the importance of the Lord's tangible presence in our meetings and also the power of the testimony of a changed life. And the impact continued, because John says in verse 12, how the next day, which is the day we call Palm Sunday, in the midst of the people's praise, when Jesus made his entrance into Jerusalem, where was the first place he went to? He went to check out the temple. He went to God's house. But sadly, He didn't find acceptable worship there in the way that he'd found it at a leper's house. Instead, he found God's house, in his words, to be like a den of robbers. But Matthew tells us, despite what he found, the presence of Jesus in the temple drew the blind and the lame to God's house. Those who were not normally allowed in the temple came to Jesus. They had the confidence to come to God's house and he healed them. And Matthew says how the children got excited and they shouted their praise at the wonderful things that they saw Jesus doing. Lord, do it again. Do it in this house. Do it in this house of living stones. Oh, Lord, can you stand? Let me invite you to stand. Let's just honour his presence, because he's here. He's here. Just still your heart. Just begin to 
just sensibly, affectionately, just speak out the name of Jesus. Just say Jesus. A king, yes, but incredibly, he could be your lover. He is your love. He loved you from the start. Jesus. Jesus. Just fill the atmosphere. Just quietly. Jesus. 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 Holy and anointed one. Jesus. Sing that again sensitively. Jesus. Jesus. The one who was anointed. Holy and anointed one. Jesus, Jesus, the resurrected one, Jesus, risen and exalted one. Jesus. The occasion we've considered today was at an ordinary house made extraordinary by the presence of Jesus and unashamed worship. And a week later, we find Jesus having another meal with his friends, with his disciples. And Luke puts it this way. He said, when the time had come, when the hour was right, and at this moment now, the time has come when we're going to break bread together. And Jesus said this, On that occasion, he said, I've eagerly desired to share this Passover meal with you. For them, it was the Passover meal. It was pointing to the Lord's Supper that we're we're going to participate in now. But just, just get hold of this. He is eagerly desiring for us to drink of his presence to feed on him in these moments. He eagerly desires this. It's, it's, not, it's not something casual. And we're told how he took the bread and he gave thanks. Thank you, Lord. So the provision, the reminder, the elements. Take your elements. And he broke it. I want to encourage you. Break the wafer, speaking. How his body was broken. That we might be whole. Let's partake of this. Just, just feed on him the bread that came from heaven.
And then he took the cup. And he said, this cup, this cup is the cup of a new covenant in my blood poured out for you. He was speaking of what was going to happen. His blood wouldn't just be sprinkled like under the Old Testament, but under a new covenant, his blood would be poured out. I want to encourage you this morning, as he's poured out his blood, pour out your worship in response. Drink and be blessed. It's a, it's a covenant of blessing. It's a covenant of healing. Receive from him this morning. Thank you, Lord. Just begin to thank him. Just begin to thank him. Whilst the worship team, let them share in communion. So often they miss out because they serve us so well. You just begin to worship him. Just begin to thank him. That's right.